change, whether in MMA or in the world, takes generations. And unfortunately, it happens through previous generations dying off and the next generation knowing better. It took several generations for the majority of Americans to adopt seatbelts. And that took the new generation watching lots of the hard-headed in the previous generation dying off. That's evolution. It doesn't care if you adapt or not, so long as the species adapts. And if the species doesn't, then it doesn't deserve to continue living. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. So let's add another element to this. What if on top of no gloves, we brought back headbutts? Bringing back headbutts might be a bigger game changer than the no gloves. If headbutts were allowed, do you mean from standing, from grounded positions, just headbutts in general? Headbutts, period. That's interesting. Because with no gloves, it changes the way you punch. And so that might make a lot of changes. And also your career span will change. But with headbutts, you're bringing in a whole new technique that doesn't even exist. Just a matter of mechanics. That's a much bigger paradigm shift. It's not a modification of something that exists. It's bringing in a whole new element that doesn't exist. That used to exist, but doesn't. And we saw that When the UFC removed headbutts, it fucking straight up ruined some people's careers. You mean Mark Coleman. Dan Severn, too. But Mark Coleman murked Dan Severn. Yeah. So I still consider him the alpha of all headbutt. Well, when they removed the headbutt, I remember reading reading an interview with Mark Coleman where he said, you guys just ruined my career. Taking away the headbutt changes everything for me. So he had designed his whole game around the headbutt. And interestingly enough, there used to be martial arts based just around the headbutt. One of the few martial arts that Korea created, one of them was based all around the headbutt. You mentioned before about how genetics would play a big game. Same thing with the skin and the chin. I wonder if headbutts are brought back purely the person with the biggest head would now have the advantage because they just have a bigger tool. I don't want to pick on Tito per se, but he has a gigantic head. Can you imagine if he was allowed to headbutt? He might have a few more TKOs or just straight up knockouts on his record. But not only the size of the head, but also how thick their skull is and how much muscle they have between their head and their bone. Because the people who cut easier have very thin skin, whereas thick skin means a lot more tissue. And that also protects you from getting cut and also from you getting damaged by your own headbutt. First of all, people will have to know how to throw a proper headbutt and what part of the head you should hit with. But secondly, yeah, there's the genetics now of not only good chin and good skin, but also 
how hard your head is, that'll also matter. And that's not something you can train. That's just something you're born with. And on top of that, skin will matter a lot more because when you bring back headbutts, there will be a lot, lot more cuts, more than just removing the gloves. And that was the reason why it was banned in the first place. Because the UFC looks so much like a blood sport because the headbutts cause so many cuts. I think this is another rule change that would favor the wrestlers even more. Because at the very least, from a standing position, it's easier to move your head so that way it avoids strikes. But once it's grounded and you're on your back, where's your head really going to go? It's just the back of your head and another person's forehead smashing into your face. So I was talking about earlier where without the gloves, it'd be much harder to know who is more dominant in a grappling position, the person on top or the bottom. But if you brought in headbutts, it becomes clearly in the favor of the person on top. Yeah, it goes from two weapons you have to worry about to three. In Myanmar, which was formerly Burma, they have a martial art called Letway, which is called the art of nine limbs. So Muay Thai is called the art of eight limbs, nine meaning also including the head. So that's a whole new thing to attack people with. And that changes everything. It's funny, people that we traditionally associate with ground and pound, or at least I associate with ground and pound being Fedor, he might not benefit from this rule as much just because I remember he cut fairly easily and he might not be either able to take advantage of it or the moment he throws a headbutt, he gets cut and that's it. He lost the fight because he cut so easy and it was collision of heads. Yeah, he fought Noguera the second time around. Noguera was doing very well. But unfortunately, after that clash of heads, it was just ruled a no contest. So in MMA, we've seen a lot of collision of heads where it damn near knocked one person out or it knocked them out or it cut them. And they have to figure out a way to make it fair. Whereas this now it will be completely legal. And whoever has the harder head has the natural advantage. And techniques that are illegal in boxing that somebody like Evander Holyfield was really good at, those sneaky headbutts, now becomes fair play. So when you see somebody rushing at you, you just kind of lower your head and wait for them to come and then just smack it into them. So that even changes somebody's approach where if they just start rushing at you, there is a chance of getting headbutted. You're much more at risk of that. Whereas right now, people have to try to go out of their way not to headbutt you as you're coming in. So the wrestler doesn't have just an advantage on the ground, even standing. Because you look at American Kickboxing Academy, even though they're called the Kickboxing Academy, they're known for having all the best wrestlers. One of the positions that they're really good in is getting an underhook, pushing the guy up against the fence, and using their head to lift their opponent's head up. So they always have their head underneath their opponent. That would be what you could call the AKA position because even somebody like Luke Rockhold will use it. Even their non-wrestlers will use it. That's something everybody there has to learn. So imagine from that AKA position where your head is underneath your opponent's head and right by their chin, you're using it for a wrestling position or a wrestling advantage. But now if you brought in headbutts, that makes that position not just a good wrestling position, 
but a good position to damage your opponent and really hurt them. Yeah, right now they're limited to shoulder strikes when they want to attack the head when they are previously engaged with hand fighting or the opponents like a Frank Mir will try to grab the free hand so that way you can't hit them. So they'll start using the shoulder bumps to kind of hit you in the chin and dig it back in. And then they have to resort to putting the forehead under your chin to try to control that. If you allowed headbutts, then that changes the game completely. Shoulder bumps was an innovation in lieu of not having headbutts. Nobody needed shoulder strikes before. No martial arts tried to go out of their way of creating shoulder strikes because they could headbutt. So because headbutt was gone from that same position, you're like, well, if I can't use my hands, I could use my shoulders. If you brought back the headbutts, there will be no more shoulder strikes. People will just headbutt each other. And this also gives an advantage to shorter fighters. In MMA, right now, really, the tallest fighter with the longest reach wins. If you brought back headbutts, naturally, the person who's lower than the other person's chin, meaning the top of their head, the hardest part of their head is naturally right underneath your chin, then you have much better of an angle to hit their chin with your head and knock them out. Whereas with a taller fighter trying to headbutt down towards somebody, unless you're already on the ground, you will just end up hitting the top of their head with your forehead and you're more likely to get damaged. Or you'll have to get down so low to get underneath the shorter fighter to really do an effective headbutt. So that becomes a great equalizer for height is bringing back the headbutt. In Letway, Myanmar, Burmese boxing, you see a lot of knockouts by shorter fighters where they punch, punch, duck down, and then just slam their head into their opponent's chin and knock them out. If headbutts were allowed in even boxing, Holyfield might never be defeated because he was known for doing that on the down low in a dirty fashion. But if he was legally allowed to do it, who knows where he'd be? Exactly. And in MMA now, we were talking about with no gloves, they'll clinch more, but it might be a bit boring. You bring back the headbutts, it becomes a lot more exciting again because there's going to be damage. The clinch becomes a lot more dangerous to both people. The person being pulled into the clinch and the person initiating the clinch. It just becomes a dangerous proposition. So some people might not even want to clinch at all because they don't want to get headbutted. And some people might want to clinch all the time because they want to headbutt. Right now, also without headbutts, if you're the taller fighter and you pull somebody into a clinch, you have an advantage because you could pull their head down and knee the fuck out of them. But if you brought back headbutts, the shorter fighter also has an advantage because if you try to grab their head, they're going to try to headbutt you. You look at the tight clinch and your chin is directly over their head to control them. And you're not afraid at all because headbutts aren't allowed. But if headbutts are allowed, you can't get away with that anymore. In fact, when you're trying to grab them by the back of their head and pull them into the clinch, they'll just go with you and just ram their head into your chin. So even pulling them in into a tight clinch becomes a lot more dangerous. It changes the whole dynamics of the clinch. Nick Diaz was famous for willingly going into a tight clinch with you. Because he would use that opportunity to start wailing on your body and hit you. Paul Daly found that out real quick. One of the reasons he tired wasn't because he gassed out. 
it's because Nick Diaz worked that body. So as soon as Paul Daly released, he didn't realize his organs were shot. His oxygen tank was slowly being depleted and he made more mistakes. Imagine that scenario, but now Nick can headbutt you. You might not be willing to clinch as much. Because Nick is the fighter who's willing to lean on you with his head. He just can't use his head for anything else other than to just get an angle to throw the body shots. But if you could throw now leaning, throwing the body shots, but also headbutting, it changes the whole dynamic of the clinch knee game also. It becomes Cobra versus Mongoose. There's trade-offs. Whereas right now, the taller fighter who pulls the other person's head down and knees just has the advantage. So if you watch Thai fighters go over to Myanmar and compete in Letway where they allow headbutts, the Thai clinch becomes completely different. Because every time they grab their head and yank them in, they get headbutted. So even the nature of clinching changes where you might do more of the MMA style over under clinch or more of headlocks as a clinch because you're just trying to get a hold of them without getting headbutted. Yeah, and if you recall when Vanderlei Silva fought Guy Mesger, Guy Mesger was under the impression that, oh, you can't throw headbutts, this is pride. But Vanderlei threw him anyway, and that ended up costing Guy Mesger to fight. And everyone would agree technically that Guy Mesger is the better, more proficient kickboxer. But Randley Silva, with this brawling style and ability to throw headbutts and not get called on it, was able to beat Guy Mesger in that way. Yeah, it was a differentiator. Now, if that was completely legal and you didn't even have to do it on the down low, different fighters get advantages. And somebody like Vanderlei, who came up fighting no holes barred where headbutts were allowed, for his weight class, he was short. But that was okay. That worked to his advantage because he had like the perfectly shaped head Four headbutts. He doesn't have the best chin, but the top of his head, there's a lot of the way the bone structure is. It looks almost reptilian, you know? So in his fights in Brazil, he relied so much on headbutts. It was much more of an arsenal of his than elbows were. I would even say more than punches because he would just punch his way in, clinch, and start headbutting you. And from that headbutt, you lean back to lean away from the headbutt. And though he wasn't a great takedown artist, that's when he would get you to the ground because you're leaning so far back to avoid the headbutts. And then from on top, he would headbutt the shit out of you. And I can imagine in the UFC where the shorter wrestler, like a Daniel Cormier, if he fought John Jones and he was allowed a headbutt, the takedowns would come a lot easier because whenever an opponent starts to lean away from the headbutt, it makes the throw or the takedown that much easier. So you'll see in fights where headbutts are allowed, whether you're looking at old school Valley Tudo, no holes barred, or YouTube videos of Letway, a lot of guys who aren't very good at Greco-Roman or throws or wrestling, you could tell they're not good. Yet, they're constantly getting throws on their opponents because their opponents are leaning away from the headbutts. And same thing in Muay Thai, where you see a lot of guys get great throws and trips because they're leaning away from the elbows. Yeah, you talked a lot about the shorter wrestler, but I think going back to Vanderlei Silva, one of his stable mates at Shootabox, Jose Pele Landis Johns, he also utilized a very effective style of headbutting. 
So it would be, how would the tall, lanky striker benefit from headbutts? Well, he provided the blueprint for that. So one of the things that he would do is as soon as he got you in that tie clinch, he would throw a couple of elbows, a couple of strikes, and then sneak in a headbutt. So you're never 100% sure what strike is going to come in. And that headbutt is another thing you have to worry about. And as soon as you lean back, he would take you down and you would continue throwing headbutts. And it wasn't the thunderous, big headbutts that you saw from Mark Coleman. It would just be the pitter-patter and then he would go back up and he would throw an elbow. So you were never comfortable. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see now with today's education and martial arts and all the ways different styles are being blended together. What kind of stuff people come up with if headbutts are allowed? I'm sure all the different training camps and all the different coaching masterminds will come up with all kinds of stuff. And then the younger generations will come up with different ways to use and incorporate the headbutt. But I do think it'll give the advantage to wrestlers, not only because of their ability to be on top and get the takedown, but takedowns will be a lot easier because a lot of takedowns had to be changed. Like, they have to use this power double or single legs a lot because they don't want to accidentally headbutt the opponent and then get in trouble or whatever, right? But now you don't have to worry about that. So you could just kind of lower your head and just drive your head right into their chest and do those takedowns where you're ramming them with your head and grabbing their legs. So instead of the power double where you're hitting them with your shoulder, you could just knock them off balance by headbutting their chest and grabbing their legs and taking them down. This was a technique that you were seeing a lot more in the early UFCs. But now, if you try to do that, you're right in the line of your opponent sprawling and you might end up hitting head to head. And so wrestlers don't have to be as cautious about head to head collisions. They could just be like, fuck it. I'm going to go for this takedown and be able to protect my head because I'm just going to ram them with the top of my head. So if I run into them head to head, It'll be my top of my head to their face. I'll be all right. I don't know about them, but I'm not going to get DQ'd or disqualified because this is completely legal now. So even the takedown itself can be a damaging technique because I'm headbutting whatever I'm hitting and also looking to take you down. That changes the whole dynamic of how they're going to sprawl, how they're going to try to defend the takedown. They'll have to rely more on footwork. So I said footwork would become more rudimentary when you remove the gloves, but when you bring in the headbutts and people starting to come at you like a battering ram, then maybe we'll see more effective footwork because you'll have to move out of the way of takedowns like a matador. And it's a reminder that when we say so-and-so is the best fighter, we also have to add a caveat of they're the best fighter within the current rule set that we put in place. If you took another sport like basketball and then you said three-pointers are now only worth one point, but slam dunks are worth three, we're going to have a completely different set of players who we consider the greatest of all times. Guys who are accurate on the outside might no longer be as game changers as they were. And we might see a more era of the big men like the Shaqs, the Hakim Olajuwans, where you need guys in the paint, and now they're the ones who are dominating. Exactly. I think the boxer-wrestler mold of MMA fighters, they'll have to get better at some of their other techniques like the knees and the elbows if they don't have gloves. But also, 
if headbutts are allowed, then they'll have to be much more diverse in their striking. But it'll be to their advantage because you could so easily transition from headbutting to a takedown because your head's right there ready to drop down for a takedown. So you could just punch, punch, headbutt. The thing about the headbutt is you don't have to aim so perfectly so long as your head is in the right angle. So as long as it's the top of your head, whether you hit their chin or their chest, you don't care as much because it's a much bigger surface area that you're going to be making contact with. And secondly, from there, you could slide down to the takedown so easily. And I think it's not just the boxer wrestlers that benefit from this. Some traditional martial artists and people who specialize in fighting styles without the need of gloves would also benefit from this as well. When you consider guys who might do very well in the clinch with elbows and knees, but they never did well in the boxing range, they might see more prominence. It actually adds another range, which is the headbutting range. So somebody who needs to rely on takedowns, I have to close that gap from my punching boxing range straight to the takedown. Because a wrestler doesn't want to rely too much on kicks because that makes the range for their takedowns that much further away. If I'm kicking you, I'm that much further away from a takedown. So I have to punch you so I'm a little bit closer. But now if I could punch and also headbutt, if I'm in headbutting range, from headbutting range to takedown range is even closer. So I've created another range between punches to takedown. So from kicks to takedown, the percentage of completion is low. From punches to takedown, a little bit higher. Now from headbutts to takedowns, even higher. So I could punch my way in into a headbutting range. And from a headbutting range, I have a very high finishing ratio to a takedown. And so in the old days, when there were less rules, grapplers and later wrestlers did a lot better. Maybe the old adage of what the Greeks said and what collegiate wrestlers still say is that the wrestlers are the best fighters is true. Maybe if we removed all the rules, the style that would benefit most is the wrestler. Because right now you see a lot of strikers doing well and it seems more even. 50-50 strikers to grapplers as far as winning. But you took out rules, you took out time limits, and maybe it'll be the wrestlers kicking everybody's ass. Which is interesting because we consider kickboxing real fighting. And if they're just wrestling without strikes, people are like, well, they're just wrestling. That's a match, but that's not a fight. When in reality, when we look back at the old UFCs where damn near everything was allowed, it was wrestlers who ruled everything. So I think we focus too much on the end product, which is of punching and knockouts and not of all the stuff in between. Like I would say punching is like different swim strokes that you could do. Whereas wrestling is water. It's the stuff that makes up the other 99% of everything else. And the less rules there are, the more you allow that 99% to proliferate. Jean-Jacques Machado has a famous quote where he says, the ground is the ocean and I am the shark and most people don't know how to swim. Maybe that extends to the wrestlers. Maybe it's truer for the wrestlers because when he fought wrestlers, 
when the jujitsu guys were fighting wrestlers, they were fighting uneducated wrestlers who knew nothing about jujitsu. But if you fight an educated wrestler who knows about jujitsu and it's in no holes barred, and you take a jujitsu guy who knows wrestling and you put them in no holes barred, a lot of times the better wrestler wins. We saw this with Mark Kerr versus Fabio Gurgel in Brazil, where Mark Kerr almost killed Fabio Gurgel. And Mark Kerr probably didn't know how to put on any submissions, but he knew about submissions and he knew how to avoid them. Wrestling is one of those things where, unlike submission grappling, where you see an arm bar or a leg lock, you're like, oh, okay, they did something and it led to a conclusion. Wrestling doesn't have those things. They have a lot of moves that don't necessarily lead you to a final product. It's everything that's in between the final products. It just puts you in a position to dominate. Wrestling is that ability to control home court advantage at all times. So from home court advantage, if there's less rules, then you and I both have headbutts, but I have home court advantage. You and I both have elbows, but I have home court advantage. You and I both have kicks, but I have home court advantage. You and I both have submissions, but I have home court advantage. And I say this as somebody who's wrestled, but I've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu like 10 times longer than I've wrestled in high school. And so Jiu-Jitsu is all about those finishes. Wrestling doesn't have any submissions. So wrestling has to control everything else other than the finish, especially because in a fight, a pin isn't the end, then they have to just be the masters of home court advantage. Without the conclusion, without the finale, it leaves wrestling to own the process. The weakness is the strength. And 99% of MMA is not the finish. It's everything else. And wrestling really helps you own that because that's his primary focus. And then from there, if you learn everything else, it's like getting an automatic plus 100 to every skill. So the more skills we allow for, the more we make it like a true fight. An educated wrestler who knows how to do mixed martial arts has the advantage. So if the UFC had no gloves and allowed headbutts, Randy Couture could have been champion for over 10 years. Who would have been the first guy to take him out? Because... He lost to Josh Barnett, but that was when Josh Barnett was on top. But Randy Couture was on top most of that fight. Now, if he was allowed to be on top most of that fight the same way it played out in history, and he was allowed to headbutt, maybe he would have finished Josh Barnett. Same thing with Rico Rodriguez later on, where it was like three or four rounds, Randy Couture was on top. Rico finally gets on top once. And that's it for Randy Couture because it's just both Josh Barnett and Rico Rodriguez were so much bigger than Randy Couture. But Randy Couture on top plus headbutts would have been much more formidable. I could see him having beaten both guys. Even when he beat Chuck Liddell at light heavyweight later on, John McCarthy had told him, one of your problems is when you get on top, you don't finish. You don't hurt him enough. So that's why he went out of his way to mount Chuck Liddell and just rain down as many blows as he could. But part of the reason why a wrestler like him had a hard time capitalizing being on top was lack of headbutts. 
So let's say we redid all of that. At what point would he have lost? He could have been a two-division champion for a long time. I think Randy would have still beat Tito, still beat Chuck the same way he beat him the first time. And the second time that Chuck beat him, Chuck, I poked him right before the right before the knockout. So that goes back to what we were talking about with eye pokes. I don't know who would have beaten Randy Couture eventually in the heavyweight division. Maybe it would have had to have been Andre Arlovsky. Maybe Andre would have had to knock him out before it hit the ground. But if it hit the ground, Randy would have finished them, I think. Yeah, it's possible that Randy could have kept that heavyweight title, even at his old age, all the way to Brock Lesnar. Now, with the light heavyweight title, I think eventually Chuck would have beat him. Light heavyweight at that time was much more competitive. So you could have had Randy Couture have even a more epic, legendary run if he was allowed to use headbutts, where he wins both straps, he keeps light heavyweight until Chuck takes it, but heavyweight, he could have kept it until Brock Lesnar because Randy Couture was the champion until Brock came in. And then after Brock, he had Kane. And imagine Super Kane, Super Cardio Kane with headbutts. Actually, I don't know how much would have changed with headbutts because Kane was so dominant. And really, the downfall of Kane was his own injuries. So I guess it wouldn't have affected Kane too much. And also, currently, the heavyweight division is still being ruled by wrestlers. But what I'd be curious about is with John Jones still be as prolific of a champion because without the gloves I think he'd still be okay because he throws a lot of other techniques now if you got DQ'd after two eye pokes that would have ruined his career but let's say everything else stays the same no gloves and headbutts allowed what would have happened to John Jones I think John Jones actually would have suffered because a shorter fighter who throws headbutts can throw John off his game where he's used to that reach advantage where he can keep you away at a distance. But like you said, if it's just no gloves, he would have to have that adjustment period and boom, a headbutt comes through. So like Glover Teixeira, he's one of those guys who fights with his head down and kind of leans into you. Now, even somebody like him allowed to headbutt, that becomes real interesting. I don't know if he would have beaten John Jones, but he would have given him a much harder time. I can't imagine John Jones using headbutts effectively just at his height. It would be more of an advantage to the shorter fighter. Unless John just takes you to the ground and then just starts hammering down punches and headbutts from you, then it doesn't matter. Then he has the headbutt advantage again, but just standing wise, I think Daniel Cormier would have had, would have given him a much more competitive time. And I just can't imagine if you remove the gloves just because of perception, UFC not implementing harsher rules about eye pokes because they're like, oh, see, look, no gloves, more eye pokes. You have to do something about that. So I think no gloves would come in tandem with stricter rules about eye pokes. And that would have completely altered John Jones's career. He would still be a prolific champion. Would he be as unbeatable? That, I don't know. And my hesitation to say some definitive answer is that even with disadvantages, once John Jones takes you to the ground, 
you're fucked. So even if he had challenges against people because they were shorter, so they could do headbutts and he couldn't eye poke them or whatever. At the end of the day, John Jones can still be like, fuck this shit. Then I'm just going to grab you and throw you to the ground and elbow the shit out of you. He always has that ability. Imagine Mighty Mouse versus Henry Cejudo with headbutts. I think we wouldn't have a back and forth. I think it would be a clear-cut victory for Henry Cejudo. The better wrestler, more tools, can dictate takedowns, doesn't have to worry about punching range. Yeah, Henry had a lot of those classic AKA positions where he had the underhook and his head was below Mighty Mouse's head. And Henry even jokes how big his head is. Imagine if you could just use that as a weapon, this giant bowling ball as a weapon. So Olympic medal wrestling with super high level boxing and knockout power, plus pretty good karate and kicks and a giant bowling ball now finally allowed as a weapon. He might become pound for pound the best fighter of all time. Giant head, no can defend. Could you teach me? I have to first learn stand, then learn fly. <laughs> 